Wired access. Yeah. Wired access. We'll do it live! Do it live! Once I began to focus in basketball, um, I knew pretty early uh, that I was going to go to the University of Nebraska. Night, Paul. It's not going to be tailbacks that are going to get the job done here in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's going to be three guards and perimeter shooting. Well, we're in the heartland, so why not take the heart and soul of the Nebraska team? Of course, that's the perimeter players on the outside. Jerron Boone, Eric Strickland, and Tom Wald. Can... And you want to pass the ball, too. Eric Strickland's going to talk to us a little bit about that right now. First of all... The Wired Access. We'll do it live! Welcome to Wired Access Podcast. I'm Kendall Wickwire. We have the owner of Wired Training, Brian Southworth, with us today. Today we are interviewing the former NBA player and entrepreneur businessman, Nebraska alumni, the Go Big Red Hall of Fame Husker, Eric Strickland, and then to my side, I also always love when we come to talk basketball or sports in general, you got to bring in some 90s love with the Creighton basketball player, Randall Crutcher. And I think one of the favorite parts that I've always had with Randall is like the first time I ever got to interview him or talk with him, I end up bringing out like the in, how they introduce him at the game. And he's like, man, I ain't heard them numbers and in forever. so long. <laughs> forever. But sure, you forgot to give uh, Strick a shout for Bellevue West. Oh, because if we don't you say are that, right. my wife will be mad. She's like, now you hey, better make sure you represent our high schools. So. He does. He does. And, and he's not the first Bellevue West person on here. We've had Cade Povich uh, on the show. Um, of course, I'm really good friends. My old neighbor is Will Kyle, who just signed with yeah. uh, South Dakota State. Um, Eric, obviously, you have a lot of things going on. And what I'd like to talk with both of you, obviously, what basketball was in the 90s and the early 2000s and what kids had access to then and what they have now is a night and day difference. So yeah, it is. With both you, Eric and Randall, uh, you both first took on baseball as a love. You yes. guys want to go in, Eric, you want to go a little bit into your minor league. What even attracted you to baseball to head to minor league before you even went the basketball route? Well, um, that's a crazy, it's actually a crazy story of how that that actually went down. Um, I, I was, football is my best sport and um, I was playing football and I was an All-Stater my sophomore and junior year um, there at Bellevue West. And then I got into my senior year. I kind of had a, a uh, an AC joint sprain in my shooting shoulder, my left side. And it just I, – I was kind of debating it. And, and I was a weird kid. I was one of those kids that – I looked at collective bargaining agreements when I was young. I wasn't just <laughs> looking at uh, sport or – being the best at a specific sport, I was looking at if I chose this sport, what type of longevity I was going to have, what was the average average time that somebody played. Um, I was looking at uh, is this something that I can do because I was equally as good in, in, in most of them, but I think I was best in football. And then it's crazy that my coach, Dave Schillinglaw, 
who was the baseball coach, he approached me, kind of figuring that I was wavering about playing football. And he said, Eric, I think if you play uh, baseball, I think you'll get drafted. Now, real quick, Eric, real quick, before we get to the draft, real quick, what are you thinking that deep into life already at the age of 17? Like, what brought that part on before we go further into it? Because I could tell you, Brian gets a lot of training kids up here, and I could tell you the last thing they're worried about, they're worried about how many dingers did they hit on this baseball game out that he has out here and how fast they throw more than they are worried about a bargaining agreement. Can you go into that a little more in depth? Yeah, I, I was just, you know, my, my father was an officer in the Air Force, and I spent a lot of time by myself, you know, just when he was doing TDYs or he had to go and be somewhere. And I, I got to that point where I just would be at home and I would be looking at football players and I would be looking at, you know, when they signed the contract and, you know, they only had a certain amount of it guaranteed. And I wanted to understand that. Why? You know, and then I was looking at baseball. I, obviously baseball probably had the best deals of them all. The best labor. And then, best and then I, but, but in that it was crazy that I would look at, okay, but you got to go through the minor league system. And then how long are you going to be in the minors? If you don't progress and you're stuck. Okay. Mm, yeah, that's cool. But let me, let me, what, what is basketball? Okay, basketball, boom, you get, to, you get drafted for a second round. If you don't work, you still, but if you sign, guaranteed, okay, average years. I was looking at just all these different things, and I started getting into the collective bargaining agreements and what that meant. And, yeah, it just, I just came to the conclusion. And so the way that I viewed it, then I went a little bit deeper, and I started looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, what does football provide for me? It provided for me the physicalness. That's why I was such a physical player. The physicalness, um, the ability to read, react, looking at formation, trying to understand what they were going to run, what they were going to do, where they're wanting to go based on the formation. I, I would do all these in-depth reads, and that helped me in basketball. So if I saw them setting up and I, I've watched film on them, okay, they got Carl Malone, they've got you know this player, uh, they've got David Robinson, okay, what does he like to do? I'm, and, and so I'm knowing where they like to get the ball, where they like to be, and that's why I would try to be in position to try to make plays. So that's what I use football for. Um, I use baseball for the cerebral aspect of it. And I was like, okay, so if the ball is hitting the gap here, then there's a, there's a runner at first, here's what it's got to do. Boom, boom. You know, I'm thinking about all these different scenarios and playing them in my head so that I can read and react to them. Um, and then the aspect of, if you go three for 10, you're failing. That's a failure in, in all aspects of grades and games, shooting, yeah, anything. Ball. Three uh-uh. for 10, you're in other, all aspects, you're terrible. 30%. So you have to be able to get over it quickly. You have to be able to forget. If you're one for three or one for four, you've got to be able to forget and think about the next battle. So I was able to use that for basketball. So I looked at all those different sports and just came to the, even though basketball I wasn't the best at, I came to the realization that I can implement all of those things that I did well and put them into basketball. Man, I just, like, it's almost like a mic-dropping instance right there. Like, you're at the age of 16, 17, 18. 
And many are thinking, okay, what am I going to wear tomorrow so everybody likes what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah. What what sport am I going to play that's going to get me the most people to watch or this or that? But you, like the instill, I mean, Randall, let's talk a little bit about you in this time. Like oh, think yeah. of your high school years. Like what were you thinking those last couple years for my you? My high school years was trying to make sure that I didn't mess up so my dad wouldn't get on me. My dad was in the house all the time, and my dad, it was a cat and mouse game. Of all I wanted to do was play basketball, baseball, and talk to girls. And everything that I got in trouble doing was because I was trying to do that. So I wanted to see some girl. There's, my, my wife will laugh at this story. My dad said it all the time. There's a time that I was out. I told my dad I was working at the wave pool. I'm supposedly working at the wave pool for a month. He's like, you don't like no water. I didn't get the heck at, out. I didn't work at the I get out to go work at the wave pool, and he dropped me off, and I'd run, and I'd either go play basketball at the park district all day, or I'd go to my girlfriend's house. And so one time he came up there because I left something at home, and I, had, I knew all the guys at the wave pool. My dad came in. They said, oh, he's on break, and they called me. But then he talked to the manager. The manager said, he don't work here. So then he said, I know where he's at, and drove over to my girlfriend's house. Uh, my boys called me and said, hey, man, you need to get up here. Your dad was looking for you. We told him that you're on break. He's going to come back. I took off running down the street, and my dad basically <laughs> videotaped me running down the street <laughs> with my sister in the car, followed me all the way back to the wave pool. I go in, and then he comes in like, hey, Randall, hey, I got your stuff. And he comes, and then he comes out and shows me the video in the car. And, yeah, I was oh, So that, that was about the extent of my maturity. Wow. But that, yeah, but that's all that was. <laughs> so we got, we got one guy thinking about – in depth, like what is the longevity? What is everything? And Randall's oh, yeah. over here, like, how am I getting that girl without dad finding without out? Without dad finding out, so that goes that shows the sign of my maturity there. But now I tell you one thing about Eric that I always appreciated because we played all the we played through Creighton when I was at Creighton, and I always thought it was so funny when we walk out on the court to warm up. Strickland was already out on the court warming up in a pool of sweat. Me, I was just like, hey, the dude's working hard, but. That what it used to do to my guards. My my guards would be so intimidated by going out there and seeing, like, we're about to do our shoot-around, and he's in a pool of sweat because he's been out there doing shooting drills, getting ready for the game. And I used to always mess with him. Man, y'all got a long day today. You better get ready. <laughs> stuff. But I used to love that. I used to love seeing that. I said, but, and my boy, and, and my boy, uh, Ed St. Fleur, with great point guard and stuff, that, he'd go right out there and he'd say, well, Rodney, you got Eric. I'm going to go get Ty. <laughs> I'm going to go over there and fight with him all game. <laughs> so I used to love that. And my dad, I, I used to talk to my dad about that. I said, man, there's this one cat. It was you. And then it was uh, another cat that really impressed me. Their pregame workouts was uh, Gary Trent, the Shack of the Mac. I remember we were, Oh, yeah. Hey, man, Eric, I was at, we were in Hawaii about to play in a tournament. We're all, you know, all the teams are staying in a hotel. And I go downstairs to get a sandwich from the thing, and they had a weight room in there. I stick my head in there, and Gary Trent's in there doing, like, three three plates before a game, smashing them just. And wet. then and he's like, like, and I'm taking your I'm lunch. Like, I was like, dude, we've been playing them. They were playing against UConn <laughs> that game. And I was like, man. And I went in there, and me and him, we tripped out. I was laughing. I was like, dude. I went upstairs and told my guys, I said, hey, we need to get, uh, we need to get a better weight program. <laughs> this is not he's working lift, out. He's lifting yeah. the gym, and he's about to go out there and dominate. But that, that always impressed me. That helped, helped me focus on getting work because I always said the way that I could look at some of the guys' eyes when they saw guys like that coming in and working that hard, that's like – The intimidation. I wanna, yeah, I want to get like that. I'm going to start doing that stuff. But that was one thing that I stole from Eric because then I started making sure that I was in the gym getting some extra shots up. 
because I saw that ever since like his sophomore year. And then I remember we went to that gym the senior year to play. And I was just like, I'm all worried about battling Mickey Moore because I got to battle the dang seven footer because Coach Altman was playing me a center. And I'm more intimidated with that. But then I go out and I look at Eric out there and I'm like, oh, yeah, they in, a, they in for a long day. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. <laughs> well, and I like yeah. that you actually brought up you brought up Rodney. So yeah. so I have to geek out at least once. Yeah. I, it wouldn't be a proper thing if I did it. Yeah. All right, Eric. I'm going to be honest, man. Between you, Tyrone, and Rodney, anytime K-Dub played any NBA game, any, yeah. Yeah. those folks were always on my team. No hate, no no joke, no yeah. cap, no nothing. Every yeah. time I made sure that I always had East Strickland, yeah. Teron Liu, and Rodney Buford. Always. Know, because you guys made up. such an impact to this area more than people mm-hmm. know. Like, yeah. And, and if I can ask, obviously, you've seen where Husker basketball was in the 90s. And yeah. you've seen where it is growing today in the opposite of direction. And obviously it's starting to work its way back, but let's just say up until just recently. And then you see where Creighton was back when you played Creighton and I'm not, you know, but the the gameplay was different to where they are now. What do you feel? Where do you think that turned to the negative for Nebraska and a positive for Creighton? What do you think turned that tide? (laughs) Well, I, I, I think what ended up happening is they got away from what was the core, right? Right. The core of our success is what the core of their success is, is they, back then, they saw the in-state talent. When we, when we, when we looked at, at Nebraska back then, I mean, you can just look at our team. Andy Markowski from Nebraska. Uh, Chad Adias was from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, shoot, uh, me, uh, than Andy was, but Badgett. he ended up leaving. Yeah, Terrence Magic was from Nebraska. And um, uh, Jason Glock was from Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. So we had a core of guys who bled red, who was the heart of Nebraska. And then you would go get talent that was from elsewhere. You yeah. see what I'm saying? And bring them in. You know, guys uh, from, you know, from Detroit, you know, Vincent and other guys, Mikey from outside then you would go get those and we would be the core of basically helping them to understand what Nebraska was about. And so that's why it was a good balance. And I think they got away from that. And I can give you a good example. When I started to see it go bad, I was actually coaching at the time. I was coaching in a division two. Um, I had come back home. I was actually coaching at Bellevue West when this happened. And, and I saw how bad it was getting. And I, I tried to talk to Tim Miles. And I told Tim Miles, I said, hey, listen, Tim, I'll do for half of what you're paying those guys that are there now. And I'll, I'll work just as hard. I said, listen, I'm two degrees of separ- separation from anybody you can want in the country. If you want somebody out of Chicago, I'll call Michael Finley. If you want somebody yeah. out of the South, and I'll call Robert Pack. If you want whoever you want, wherever, I can get to them. You know what I mean? And on top of that, I told them before he even thought about it, I told him about um, Justin Patton. I said, listen, he's, he's raw, but if you get him in the, in the weight room, in 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 that Husker weight room, he will become a pro. I said, uh, Kyrie Thomas. I said, he is a lockdown defender with long arms and he can get anywhere he wants on the court when he wants to. 
Yes, he's inconsistent in his jumper, but he works and he will get better. I had Trayshawn Thomas's dad. We were talking regularly. He's like, if he goes down there, I'll send you. I'll send send my son to you. I had those three kids. He ends up in Nevada where they go deep into the NCAA tournament. Trayshawn. Um, um, I had Tradeon Hollins was a tremendous point guard, but he, you know, he couldn't shoot, but he could defend his tail off. Um, all of them kids. And then I had uh, Justin, his mom went to high school with me. So I was mentoring both of them and I could have brought them kids and they went away from them. Well, Creighton got them. Yeah. I and like, Creighton was beating our head in regularly. Uh, I like that he brought up a big word there. And, and I mean, from you guys who obviously touch more athletes now than you probably have before is the word mentoring and how the kids look at you different. Um, we, you know, we just interviewed Jojo Doman, you know, who is a beast, but I could tell you in the interview, he gave all and every credit to mentors yeah. and, and his pit crew is what he called him. The people that got him to where he is and who he is mentally and physically. And obviously with as much heart as you have, Eric, seeing, the local basketball talent get to where it is today. And, and obviously for you, I, I would feel it's like a rewind, right? It's rewind back to your guys' days when yes, in the early nineties, when a lot of Omaha area schools had some big names. That's, that's a big change. Cause I could sit there and I'll tell you where I saw a change. So coach, coach Altman was doing a good job there, but then I saw he was trying, coach Altman was trying to figure out a way to get further in the NCAA tournament. So then he brought back, an old assistant, uh, Fisher, because Fisher was out there on the West Coast. Well, he was out there at TCU, and he yeah. started being able to pull kids from the West Coast. So Coach Alvin's like, let's bring him back so we can start getting these West Coast kids. And that's when we got the PJ, I think PJ Stennis, whatever. Yeah. And you bring him out here, and then what happened was he didn't have the core of Midwest guys, and that locker room was divided because you had the West Coast guys coming out like, man, I'm not listening to these these goofballs here, they don't know anything about basketball. They're in the Midwest and they're, they're cowboys. Yeah. And then you had that divided locker room. And then that's when PJ, he had a great season, but then we fell off and then he got in trouble and got kicked out of school. And that's when coach Alvin was like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. So then when McDermott came in, it, as Eric's saying, it's something about getting all the Nebraska and Iowa boys. They, basically they all played in kind of the same area and you get, yeah. enough, you get enough of them they teach, like, I came from Chicago, you know. I come from Chicago, and I come in there, and, you know, first thing I'm thinking, man, I'm going to show these country boy stuff. But then you got a bunch of them from there, and I remember, God, man, Adam Reed. I still remember to this day, that was my first time ever seeing a country, like, Midwest boy. This guy would get up at 5 in the morning. He'd break up with his girlfriend during hunting season because he <laughs> says it's hunting season. He'd get up at 5 in the morning. I still remember the first time we had our 8 o'clock practice, he went – he showed up at the gym with like three dead geese that he didn't shot, caked on mud. He just wraps them up, throws them in the freezer, and gets in his gear, and he's got dried up mud on his legs. And I was like, man, this is crazy. And I'm sitting there thinking it's crazy, but then everyone else is in practice just, yeah, man, so where'd you go, blah, 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 doing all they this feed, stuff. I was they like, feed wow, off of it. They just, want it. This is nuts. But then, but then it was just funny seeing, like, I'm looking at him like crazy, but then the black guys that were from Nebraska were just like, well, yeah, that's just how they are. And they went, you know, well, we don't do that, but hey, we respect that. Then they're like, hey, man, if you get any deer, give me some jerky. <laughs> and I'm like, what is all this? We don't talk like that in Chicago. So then it's like, man, I sound like the outlander, so I better kind of fall in line because I sound like I'm a snob and a, a goofball because I don't get it. But that you had that core there, and that made you want to fight for it. 
and stuff. When you start thinking, well, I'm pulling everybody from everywhere because there's the best talent here on the East Coast to the South to the West, and they come in. They don't have. They're not fighting for the school. They're fighting for them. They're fighting to show that hey, I'm repping my city, and I'm going to show you that I'm better than you instead of trying to mend. And right, yeah, and that's what they have with Woolridge, with Strick, with all them cats with Badger. I mean, I still talk to Badger all the time, and he, I, God, to see Nebraska how it was now because I came out here and Creighton was like the little school, and Nebraska was the one. I thought Danny Knee was. The, a tough recruiter and I'm like man they got all these boys and we can't beat them I remember Piatowski coming out there shooting our lights out my freshman year and I'm like man that white boy can shoot <laughs> and stuff but yeah yeah but it's yeah. just those are the things that that woke me up so to see it completely flip and then when I go into the locker room and I'm seeing this and I'm seeing oh this kid's from Central this kid's from Brian this kid's from Bellevue West I'm like man they got these guys here they're not gonna let any outsiders come wreck that dang chemistry you either gonna right. fall in line or you're gonna be right. sitting over there so yeah I think you know 10 15 years ago with Nebraska it used to be cool to go to Nebraska yeah you know I mean mm-hmm. that that was the thing to do like it was cool and I don't think it's just basketball that struggle with that I mean yeah. football baseball you know I mean those people are just seeing other schools and what they're doing. And it's just, it's not cool to go to Nebraska yeah. anymore. I mean, I remember right. coming to, to play against Nebraska and getting the chant nerds, 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 because we were Creighton. We were the uppity smart, the smart school, school. The smart school. And we're coming down the thing and they're, they're singing nerds to us. I'm like, man, we nerds. What, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> and so then, yeah, you yeah. go into the hood, you go over to the North or you go over there and you're talking, man, I ain't going to that, that prep school, man. I'm going to Nebraska. That's what they used to say. Now everyone, when I go over there, it's a complete like, yeah, man, I'm, I'll go right down there and play at Creighton. And I'm like, wow, that's not what I was getting when I was going out to Hank's place and over, you know, dancing at the club. So I'm glad that you brought up some of the old school. Just real quick, Brian, if you thought of back when you played baseball, what are things that kids now have but don't take advantage of compared to what you didn't have back then and wish you did? Man, you know, I think technology is a big thing. Um, I guess in the baseball side with, with, you know, how you're moving, how you're swinging – how you're throwing everything, you no longer have to guess. I mean, with the video, you can see, you have the analytics to know, you know, where I'm successful hitting the ball opposite field or pole side. And you can really narrow down what you're successful with. And then in the return, also in the off season, I mean, you can improve your weaknesses. You know exactly what your weaknesses are. And it's like, you know, you can do surgery with a chainsaw or a scalpel scalpel, right? Like, yeah. so now like you're training with a scalpel, like being precise and improving on that thing. I think that's, that's the big thing is in the baseball, you, you just no longer guessing, you know? And I would assume a lot of that probably reigns true in the basketball world yeah. too. Right um, now it's amazing. All Randall, what was some things that you remember that you had to do extra that, you know, now you're like, man, that stuff's easy. Cause you got more routes to get there, I guess. Uh, is it just like like what was like the gym? Was the gym available? Was the, like gym? Well, you know, this is the difference. You might not have had gyms available. That we were always outside playing. I don't see that anymore. Like I'm from Chicago. We, you know, it was one of those things where, okay, I, we're going to hoop and we're going outside to play. We're going to this. We're going to this place. Someone rolls up and says, "Hey, man, the cats from Proviso East are over there playing at Franklin Park," and we're like, "What?" grab our shoes, we want to go over there and bring our crew out there to try to play against them. And we would play against everyone in the city, all over the place. It was always outdoor courts. 
they started doing midnight basketball. We can, you know, parents would drop us off over at 10 and we go play at Malcolm X uh, College and play basketball. That's when we got the gyms, but there weren't a lot of, like, gyms unless you were paying to get into the park district and stuff. But all the outdoor courts were there. The only time you were in the gym was if you were working with a coach or something like, okay, or, you know, it's like, okay, hey, come over here. We're going to work on your footwork right. and stuff, and I'm in the gym. But all the basketball, that's what I said. My whole thing was – Let's go to the park district, play outside. We're going to play outside, smile at girls. Oh, somebody, you know, these guys from south side of Chicago came rolling up into the suburbs and they're playing over here. Hey, get your boys and we get the best crew out there and we're going to go play against them. And, and that was the thing. I mean, I remember rolling out to go watch, like, Tim Hardaway playing when I'm young, playing pickup ball at Franklin Park. They're outside, Doc Rivers. And you're see, like, and that's the stuff the that you can't see today. Yeah, you don't you know? see that. I roll yeah. around. I, my heart breaks when I drive past, like, Lake Street, and I see those outdoor courts with the nice backboards. And I'm like, my goodness, and lights, and nobody's out there. When they put lights in the dang outdoor court where I was at, we were there. Yeah, we, my, hey, Dad, we're going to be out there until they turn yep. the lights out. And then it, the lights go out at 11. Parents don't even care. You're like, hey, they just turned the lights out. Come get us. But they knew we were out there hooping. It was just, I remember when they put the lights at the park district, because we used to always play in them 6.30, 7.30, oh, it's, it's time to go. Yeah. And then they started putting lights in there. And, I mean, we were, like, chomping at the bit, like, man, I can't wait till those lights are up. But when The worst up, is, like, they probably put up one, let it sit there for yeah. a day, put up another, and you're like, oh, Look, man, we're so They put the lights on, and what was nice, we, were, we played at the park district. You get beat, and there's so many people that if you got beat, you're off for a couple games. I remember we get beat. Back. We're going to run, run down to McDonald's and grab us a, a drink and a burger because I know we're sitting out four games. But, you know, I got next. I'll be right back. You run down there. You mack to the girls and all that stuff. And then, you know, and then you're serious about we're not losing because I'm not sitting out another half four an games. hour, another four games. We're about to stay on this court. And it was serious basketball out there. So I wish the open courts I, were I like that. I had a little bit different experience. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, ahead. I was go just going to just real quick. I'm going to be honest. I have a I have a 15-year-old son and even at the landing one of the hardest things to tell him to go do just go play versus who cares how old they are. Yeah, like don't give a crap because you're in high school, you're playing against kids that you're not going to care how old they are. Yeah. yeah. But it's just one of those of what has changed in time. Like you said, the outdoor means nothing to him or just an open game, a pickup yeah. game means nothing. You show up to the courts and you didn't have enough to play five on five. We played 21 until people showed up enough and we're out there and it was a battle. And 21 is like all or nothing. You're getting elbowed and no outs, fouls, tip outs. Don't shoot no jump shots because if they tip, they're knocking you back down. It was just a battle. And then when you got five, we were just excited. We didn't care if it was a girl. Oh, we got five. Can you shoot? Come on. We playing. And Pick we her start. up. So, yeah. And Strickland, what do you got on, on your past of what you, you can recall of what worked for you and what's different today? Well, definitely that part was part of it. Uh, but I, I would say my outside part of it was, uh, was definitely a great experience because back then we didn't have nets. So yes. you, if you, if you hit, if you hit, you had to chase the ball. And a lot of the times we didn't have five on five. So I, we did exactly where, where Randall was talking about a lot of that, but a lot of it for me was in imagery. It was, I was by myself. A lot of my friends was wanting to ride bikes and go to the park and do all these other things. And I was like, I'm going to the, to the outside court. So I would do a lot of imagery. I would pretend that I was Lakers versus Celtics and I was 24 second clock and I would dribble up. And so I was working on different drills 
and doing different things all by myself, but with imagery, believing that Michael Cooper was covering me and I'd throw it in and I had Kareem on me and I'd have to make a move. And so I did it like that when I was by myself. But you also said something you alluded to, which was real. And this is what I think made me who I was as to why I was, you know, strong, physical and dominant the way that I played is my dad, when I was 11, 12 years old, because he was an officer in the Air Force, he would take me to the base gym with him. And so I would play with the men. I would never play with kids my age. Um, I always played up because if you were my age, I dominated. So I always played up. But they didn't have AAU and they, you know, stuff like yeah, that. They so didn't have that. My dad would take me to play with men. They would beat me up. They would be physical. And they would try, oh, he's not playing. He too. My dad would be like, my dad was like 6'1, 225, diesel. And so he's like, yeah. mm, he's playing. You know, so that's how I actually got good. I was playing with men. Oh, Eric, so, look, therefore, I, I became a man among boys. You're saying the same thing. My old man, 6'4", 245, uh, played football, and he would have me go up and play. I played pickup ball with uh, his workers and played pickup ball with uh, one of his friends was a state trooper. And they bring me up, and I'm the skinniest thing up there. And they used to just whoop on me. And I just remember they always whoop on me, but I'd always play, 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 play. He's always bringing me up. You're going to get tougher. You're going to get tougher. And then by the time I became a sophomore in high school and I actually got stronger and I started dunking on them, then they wouldn't let me play with them anymore. All right, you can't play here anymore. Get out. <laughs> but, yeah, you take, take a beat down, man. But, yeah, I, yeah you're, and dads do that. They don't care. Get up. Don't you cry. Stand up. Keep yep. playing. Oh, okay, yep. okay. Yeah, don't embarrass me out here in front of my boy. Okay. <laughs> so. What what has it done to the game like uh, of basketball? I know in the baseball world, um, there's a like the free play, like you see in like the Dominican area, right? Like just yeah. the people going out and playing with like sticks and and like terrible balls, and you know the actions that they develop, the skills they develop is so far superior to what we see coming out of, like the Midwest, who they're very robotic any structure they have is usually like led by a coach and teaching yeah. them what to do. There's no free play around here. There like, you know, the, the, the amount of free play that you have, like, like you guys have, how has that changed the game of basketball? It has changed my, uh, my nephew though. So my, ne- I coach my nephew, he's seventh grade and he gets done with school. Sometimes he has lacrosse practice. Yeah. He, I do playing lacrosse now, but whenever he gets free time, him and his friend Mo go to the papillion landings and they play pickup ball. All day, four hours, three hours, you know, just, and they're telling me about the games. Oh, we played against these high schoolers and we beat them and stuff. And I'm like, that makes me feel good. But then it's like, they'll ask some of the guys that I coach, maybe four of them will come out there, but majority are not, what, you just playing pickup ball? You know, are there refs? No, I'm just like, what? No, no refs, call your own foul and you don't call your foul. They give them, you, you know, you yeah. give me the foul. I'm not going to call a foul. I'm not going to be the wimp out here. You beat me up. If you follow me hard enough, you say, I got them. That's how you play. And that's what's making them get a lot better. But, yeah, they don't have that. When the kid tells you, no, I'm not going to play because, what, what, are they keeping score? Is there a rap? I'm like, what are you talking about? Just go out there and play some basketball. Well, and, I I mean, obviously, Eric Strickland, you got cerebral sports that's going on. How does that relate with kind of what Brian was talking about when you're evaluating kids? Like, are you able to pick apart someone that is, you could tell, whether they are – 
someone that's being coached to be who they are or if it's someone that has played like Randall was talking about, his nephew, you could tell when they've played a little different basketball and like the street ball. Well, Cerebro is built, uh, basically it's recruiting analytics, right? Uh, for the life of basketball, it's not limited to basketball. Basketball is just our entry. We're going we're gonna to probably do baseball. We'll probably do volleyball. We'll probably expand and do other sports, but basketball is the entry level to what we're doing with Cerebro. So what basically we've done as in the past and for time, even to now, what it's always been built on is eyes, the eye test. It's what the recruiting, the recruiting uh, individual that's there for the university or for the, the, you know, the baseball team, it's what they see, right? It's what they observe. And it's been done that way for so long. Baseball probably is the best one that started it out with analytics, I would say. They've been the first to, to the market on that, that, that aspect of it. They've done a big job, especially that's where you get like money ball and stuff like that, because that's what they built it on. Well, basketball, we're trying to change that. So with COVID, it's really elevated us. We work with the EYBL. We work with Under Armour. We work with um, uh, the Adidas Gauntlet Circuit. Uh, we do a lot of the shoe company. We work with marketing agencies, which basically help them to, to, to pursue career art so that they can decide on who they want to market. Are they marketability? How, how, you know, how much we should invest in them? We work with them. The agencies, do they want to pursue them for a potential MBA or professional career? Um, so we basically take numbers and we put the numbers from the box scores, which when you go to AAU tournaments, they take the box score and they throw them in the trash. Well, we use that. We put those into analytical forms. We create basically archetypes on players. So in essence, we're the Google. We're the Google of basically sports. So you can go in now, whereas before you may show up at a gym and you have your eye on a specific player, you're at court three, you're watching a game, you may see a couple things out there. But there's eight courts. So there's players that you're probably missing. You're there for a specific amount of players. You may find one. You may find a John Morant like he got noticed by Murray State, you know, just being on the court. And, and, but we take those numbers. And now if you have a guy that you, you're, say, say you're, um, your recruiting pipeline is Nebraska, Iowa, Texas, Louisiana. That's your pipeline. That's where you have your biggest influence. You're calling those recruiting uh, guys there in those areas. You're finding out. You're going down there. You're checking them out, right? Whereas now, you you know, in our past, when all of us were playing, if I told you I was going to Nebraska, I was coming. It was, it, you know, it, it wasn't like, uh, uh, we, you know, we didn't basically sell you the dream. Now they're loving five people. So they're telling Oregon they love them. They're telling UCLA. They're telling Creighton. They're telling LSU all the same thing. We love you. I'm coming. Right? Yeah. So yeah. you probably are going to miss that guy. So he's a 3 and D guy that you need on your team. This is why the transport portal is so freaking huge is because they miss on the guys that they want to get, that they need, that fits into the program, into the style of play that they're looking for. They miss that guy, and they end up settling for a, a player that really doesn't fit their system, but it's the next best thing, yeah. right? So so what we do is there's a 3 and D guy with the same uh, archetype as that player you just missed on, but he's in Spokane, Washington. 
So you can go in and query in our system as a coach, as a, as a university coach, and say, I'm looking for a 3 and D guy with these numbers, with these specs. He shoots over 36% from the three. He does this. He defends. He gets two steals a game, blah, 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 right? You find that guy in Spokane. Now you can tell your coach, go to Spokane and check this guy out, as opposed to going to the uh, arena for an AAU tournament hoping to see another guy wow. like him. That's that's what Cerebro does. And, and when you brought up the transfer portal, um, and I'd like your guys' each take on this for each sport, I always felt like there's a reason for you to hit the transfer portal, but when sitting back as a fan or, or a parent, sometimes it feels like it's too easy to hit that transfer portal. And, and, I mean, you have a lot of players from the 90s. Obviously, I'm a 90s Husker freak, but and Damon's like a close friend of mine, but – you know, he, he's willing to tell you if I didn't stick it out because my dad told me I ain't going nowhere, I, who knows what I, who I would be today going through those hard times where there was more people that probably wanted to transfer back in the 90s, even with those championships and all yeah. that, that no one has any idea about. They think that everything was perfect and they just wanted to live there. Yeah, but what I, they really don't understand is some of these people have to go through that grind to become the man or, or woman that they are today. What, what's your thoughts, Brian, when it comes to transportal? My bad. Well, I think it's tough. I mean, the, the whole culture is different, though, now. You know, I mean, coaches are, are leaving. They're getting contracts and stuff. I don't know. I see both sides see, of it. See, coaches, I get yeah. that part. Like, like, I get it if a coach leaves or something like that. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm on that because uh, Coach Altman uh, came in my sophomore year. And so we were 7-22 and 22 my freshman year. I was out. I'm like, I'm gone. I was transferring to Northwestern. Uh, you know, my uh, going back to Chicago. Going back to Chicago. Uh, one of my my cousins, Jamal Meeks, was out there as an assistant coach with Birdsong, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go. So I was playing with them all summer, and they hired Coach Altman, and he sent Coach Gordy to my house, and they sold my dad, and then my dad was like, nah, you got to give this guy a chance, and then I was like, okay, came, and then I'm glad I stuck through it, but I can see you wanting to leave because the coach leaves. I kind of. You know, I like I, I'm kind of in between on this because I like I like players having power. You know, I, I'm always Absolutely. for that. I like playing like, hey, this is you know, we're they're men. You're the athlete. They're, they're the athlete, they're men now. They're not yep. kids yes. and they're like, Okay, they feel this isn't for them, they can go. So I like that, but I hate the aspect that we're not teaching these men how to overcome. You know, the AU system is, you know, I, I'm looking at the AU system now when people can bounce, bounce, like, oh, well, I don't like this, and I'm going to this team, or I'm playing on four different teams and stuff, and then, oh, I don't like what this coach is saying to me, let me go over here. And they never get that going through it and grinding it out and saying, okay, let me make it better and go that route. I, that's what makes me worried about it. There's, the grass is greener on the other side. No one's learning how to water the grass. You know, I, and I, yet last year it broke my heart when Christian Bishop left. And I'm like, Christian Bishop was balling for us. And I'm like, why would you want to leave there? Uh, I think I have a better chance to get to the NBA if I go over here. I'm just like, you're, you know. And it, it's a balance. It's but a balance I like what he said. Yeah. Everybody thinks the grass is greener on the other side until you got to actually water it. Eric, what's your take on the transfer portal? I, I think I feel the same way. Uh, I, I think perseverance and Stay in the course. I understand it. I think it's 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 two ways to it that can make it good. Um, I think it also kind of puts you in preparation mode if you do it right. Um, understanding if you're going to be a pro- professional, you got to take it as a business. You know, you're going to be traded. You're going to become a free agent. 
all of those different things, those are lessons that sometimes uh, are hard to deal with that you're not used to. Like for me, when I was first traded, it broke me. It broke my heart because I was like, man, I gave my blood, sweat and tears to you. I've given my all and this is how you do me, you know? And so I think it's two ways to it. I think, yes, it does teach you character. It does teach you to become a man. It teaches you how to become better uh, where you are and, and, you know, prove them wrong and, and you be the change. And instead of just trying to go somewhere and you're seeing yourself go to two and three different schools because you just want to make a jump. So I understand the negativity of it, but then I think there's also lessons that can be taught out of it on, on a different level as far as the professional side of it. The toughest part in college is you got two different people. You got the person who's recruiting you and you got the person who's coaching you. And right. very often those are two completely different people, you know? And, and that's what I'm hoping some parents hopefully deep down listen when they're wanting to talk to their, their, uh, their kids about it. And when they want to, uh, go through the experience. Cause, uh, we brought up with Jojo, that dude is one of the only guys for the Huskers to ever see three different, different defensive coordinators, yeah. three different schemes. And you know what that gets him prepared for? Like, like Eric just said, you go to the pros and you got to play for who knows what team. You don't know what their style is. You don't know how their coaching's going to be. And you're going to have to fit in because that's a job. It's not a, hey, you get to just come try out and have fun. Like, you're yeah. fighting every day. But let me throw a monkey wrench in here. What I'm worried about the transfer portal now is about now that these players are able to get money off their likeness, that's going to throw – that's going to sully that transfer portal because you – what what happens when you're like, oh, I'm thinking about transferring and now boosters come and saying, hey, you know, we'll put you on a couple of these billboards for uh, H&H Chevrolet and we're going to pay you 60 grand to do that or 70 grand to do that. Well, am I now going because of the money? Am I going because I think I'm going to get playing? Are they going to start having bidding wars and now we're going to start worrying about, you know, how much money is coming? Oh, I would go there. I would fit in that mix. But, man, they're talking about 100 grand and I could, yeah, I could go make that money. Of my likeness, that's what I'm worried about because right now it's so fresh and so new that there hasn't really got any chance for regulations on there. So yeah, I'm worried about it going that route. Balance best fit or most money, you right. know, and and sometimes those don't always align. So Eric, as you're talking to these, I mean, are you still dealing with athletes on that part of it? Like, are are you trying to mentor athletes through some of your experiences and what you're thinking of, or or just given the stats and, and what? coaches are looking for he's, he's when, when 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 you're dealing with um i mean we talk to kids and parents but we we more so try to make sure we're objective points of view so we don't try to be on one side or the other okay. so um that's why i think we we just take an objective stance where we stand on the outside you can't pay your way to get in or up our board. You can't uh, uh, manipulate your way up our board or or on our on our systems. And so um, we do it from a standpoint of education. So we empower both the coach and that's okay. And a lot of the times they're go. focused not on the totality of the game or the totality of what's going on on the court or the field. They're looking at their kid, and so. They're wondering, why isn't my son only paying 10 minutes a game? He's better than nah, nah, nah. And he's, he plays harder than nah, 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 right? 
so that's that's the, pre- the 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 thing that we do for parents when coaches have discussions. Coaches get information. Now they can sit down and have real conversations with parents. It's hard in the past to be able to do that because you're just you're you're basically just trying to justify. But now you can sit down and put numbers beside it and say, here, here's who his competition is. Here's who he's playing against. And you can actually put them side by side. Here's who's in the conference. Here's who he's playing against. Here's what his numbers are. Here's what his efficiencies are. And here's where he needs to get better at. And he's hurting us in this area. You can have those discussions. And when you put that stuff in a parent's face, what can you say at that point? Now the parent can then take those report cards and those uh, those aspects to the kid and say, what you going to do about this? Do something about it. Yeah. Eric, you'd love me because I, I videotape all of our seventh grade games. And I got a guy who is an accountant, and he makes charts off of all the stats that I give him. And I got player efficiency charts, and I give them out. And it's funny, it has shut the parents up because I'm showing them, hey, this is what's going on. He needs to get better here because I'm crazy like that. And all the parents are like, man, you do way more than what these other See, I was trying that in seventh grade as the assistant coach because I I was very front and center at fourth grade. I said, I can help keep these kids in line, but I – I'm not a basketball guy. You got me on football field. I got your back. I got your yeah. DBs doing everything under the sun. But you get me on that basketball court, and I'm a I'm a fish out in water just yeah. wondering. But I'll keep the kids. You tell me how to do it from A to B. I'll make sure to do an A and B and finish at C. Yeah. But parents were kind of disgruntled of, why are you recording? Why are you marking down how many threes they miss? How many this? But I'm like, these kids have to find out some way. They were like that at first. And I was just like, I'm six seven, and this is my program. Shut up, <laughs> <laughs> shut up, and get on the program. And then they fell in line after a while. <laughs> well, the bad part is, is you know, obviously we've gone super long. And I told Randall, I said, here's the way these these conversations could go. We can go on for hours, and hopefully, we can do another segment some other time. Yeah. But I felt like we got a lot of what I wanted for kids, for parents, to hopefully realize that. Not everything is just straight black and white. There's a lot of gray area. And if you don't dig deep, and and I think obviously with Eric, he he well shared in his experience as a kid, it was the time alone. And I think that's sometimes some of the things that kids are scared about nowadays of being alone, whether it's going to the gym alone. They're worried about who am I going to go lift with? Who am I going to go shoot with? Yeah. And, And you're like... Just go be a kid. Just go. But, like, it's such a hard thing to grasp nowadays because there is so many quick, easy accesses, whether it's a phone, a TV, a a laptop, social media. Everything is just a quick, and everybody wants it that quick, but yet no one wants to put in that time where it's realizing and finding out who you are inside Mm -hmm. and and who you're going to be. Because no matter what we tell as a father, coach, or anything – the ultimate challenge is what you're going to bring to the table. So, uh, Eric Strickland, I, I told you that the earlier, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, I always added you to everything that I played because true and true, you read, you, you made kids enjoy basketball because what you brought on the court every time. But how can people find out more about you? And obviously, as we said before we got to recording, the good old, now you're going to do a, uh, a a movie, so we're going to have to check that out. But I'm go ahead, five tickets. Go ahead and tell us about <laughs> how they can find you on multiple things that you're working on right now real quick to get you out of here. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram at eastrick2020. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at eastrick20. Um, and, 
you know, you can also go to CerebroSports.com if you just want to kind of check it out. Um, uh, there's a, uh, I think we're with Next Pro, in, um, that organization. It's a mid-tier league. It's not your, your, your big shoe league. And we do a lot of the analytics for them, which is helping those kids to get better. You can go up and sign your, you know, your own profile. And, and anytime you're playing in those, those leagues, you'll be able to find out how you're performing uh, by tournament, uh, tournament by tournament, whether it's in Minnesota, whether it's in Nebraska, whether it's in Missouri, no matter what. And uh, that's where we are, man. Uh, I appreciate it, you guys. I enjoy it. I definitely would be open to do it again. So just know that. Well, we'll try to break in on that. Uh, also, you can hear him on 93.7, the ticket. Um, it is a local Lincoln channel, but obviously you can also check it. They do have uh, their stuff online. Yeah, on oh, YouTube. Yeah. yeah, it's online. Yeah, it's on YouTube. We check it it's out. on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, Facebook. Yeah. All right. And then, Randall, we got you, of course. I appreciate you right. always coming in for basketball time yeah. and, and getting you on the on the microphone and, and hopefully – bringing back some memories that make you go, man, it's fun oh, to yeah. teach these kids as you continue to teach with oh, seventh no. grade. That's so much fun. Yeah, and it's funny. It's not like Kendall had to twist my arm. He's like, hey, man, come. You want to talk basketball? I'm like, yeah. And then he goes, cherry on top. Hey, and I'm going to have Strick on there. I was like, what, my boy Strick? I haven't talked to him in, like, forever. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I'm coming. Hey, I'm if we can connect coming. it. And, and as many can see, you know, obviously we have Brian Southworth with us, the owner of Wire Training. Uh, Eric, it's a uh, baseball facility that is the state of the arc, and it kind of goes into what he was talking about when we were talking about the programs he can use and change a kid's pitching. Um, if you look up Cade Povich, the old other Bellevue West kid, you can watch he uh, – Pitch a Macklin inning versus Boston Ball. Red Sox, Ball. and then just in the major A's um, this weekend for his birthday just yesterday, he ended up going five innings, putting down 14 of those uh, <laughs> 15 coming out of that Bellevue it West product. Eight, eight of them were strikeouts. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that Bellevue yeah. West product has yeah. continued to produce. So, uh, I, I greatly Phenomenal. appreciate everybody joining us, and uh, we'll be ready for the next one. See ya.